Welcome to the Blood Cancer Experience, a podcast series presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. This series connects people affected by blood cancers to their community with stories of hope, healing, and help. Hi, I'm George Athens, your host for this podcast. We appreciate you connecting with the LLSC and listening to our ongoing series of broadcasts dealing with blood cancers. Today, we are speaking with Lois Lewis from Toronto. We are focusing on acute myeloid leukemia, AML. Thanks for joining us today, Lois. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Why don't we start with um, a little background on yourself because... um, well, this uh, podcast is dealing with a certain type of therapy. I, I understand that you were involved in, uh, in a field that was similar in certain ways. Yes. Uh, when I graduated from university in 1971, um, I had a music education degree. Um, I was always interested in children, and in particular children with uh, special needs. I'd done some part-time work. And so I went to England for a year and I studied music therapy. Um, I came home and worked in a very large facility in um, Woodstock with uh, the most challenged, uh, intellectually uh, challenged um, clients or residents. And um, I got a little bit homesick for Toronto and thought there would be opportunities there for me to work. And in fact, moved back and there were (laughs) very few music therapy jobs. Um, so I applied for a job at a private school and 30 years later, I, I, uh, I, uh, retired from that school. It was just such a happy time, loved teaching music, loved working with children. And I think one of my greatest joys was I formed an, an intergenerational choir with, uh, senior citizens, um, and, and set them up in a relationship with some of my grade five students. Well, actually a whole classroom of grade five students. They um, became pen pals first, learned all about each other's backgrounds and their loves and you know, their happy times, their sad times. And, that, and, and all the time they practiced the same repertoire and then they came together and met each other for the first time in a social event, a choir practice, it was magical. It was for everybody. And so I carried that on for 13 years. And that was one of my, one of my greatest joys in teaching, one of the many. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations on a, a wonderful career, a, a career with a social purpose and also giving back. Um, let's talk a little bit now about your diagnosis with uh, acute myeloid leukemia, AML. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it was quite shocking because um, I was diagnosed in, in August of, well, July actually of 2010. Two years previous to that, I had uh, lost a very good friend, uh, a colleague um, that I taught with uh, to AML. And I visited her a lot at Princess Margaret and, and unfortunately she died and I was devastated by that. But two years later, there I was being diagnosed with the same disease. And I thought, no, this has to be a joke. But I found out very quickly that it wasn't a joke. Um, Originally, I was diagnosed with a chronic form of leukemia. In July, I was diagnosed with that. And and the the doctor said, well, you know, we'll try to treat that with a clinical trial drug. Um, 
and there were no guarantees that that would work. So that was a bit unnerving. But the doctor said the worst thing that can happen is it can morph into AML, acute myeloid leukemia. And sure enough, a month later, it did. So um, that was quite a shock. I remember just being, I, I could, couldn't, I couldn't speak. I mean, anyway, I was totally surrounded by uh, a wonderful family, three children, a wonderful husband, and uh, just a, an incredible community of friends and uh, helped prop me up. Um, and, and get through the process. And what exactly was the process then in terms of the final, mm -hmm. say, say, treatment? Um... Well, um, it began with, uh, and I think this is very common for acute myeloid leukemia, began, began with in-hospital uh, uh, chemo induction. So heavy chemo to put the leukemia into remission. And uh, that was very difficult because I was really sick to start with because I, I'm sure that I'd had this disease for quite a while without knowing it. Um, I had retired, but I was teaching music part-time. And, and just prior to that, I was teaching at a, a school for the arts, which was very, uh, very challenging, but very rewarding. So I think that um, in that way, it, uh, it, it the, you know, the disease manifested itself after uh, being very, very busy. Um, and so in the hospital for six weeks with that chemo and uh, felt very ill, very, very ill. But at the end of the six weeks, I was in remission. And that was, I think, uh, just to go back a minute, I think that although it was a shock getting the, the diagnosis, once there was a treatment plan, then my world changed. I mean, I was still very frightened, but um, there was a plan and I was just going to move forward and do the best I could to get through it. So I, I was in remission and I felt much better after that. But then the trick is to keep uh, a patient in remission until there is a bed for a bone marrow transplant. Because for me and for mo a lot of people, not, a not all AML patients, but um, the 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 best treatment is a bone marrow transplant. As I say, not everybody goes through that, but I would say the majority of patients with AML, uh, that is the goal to to keep that disease away. And and I was a little bit shocked when I found out um, that even with a bone marrow transplant, the disease could recur. So that was always in the back of my mind, but it didn't really it didn't drive my thoughts. I, I was just so determined to, to get through it. At that point in my life, um, my eldest daughter was about to get married. Um, and I thought, you know, I have to make it so I could attend the wedding. And then after she got married and I was, <laughs> that was okay. I thought now they're going to start a family. I need to live. You know, there's always something to live for. Um, I loved, I've always loved life. And I thought, I just want to be alive to see all these wonderful things happen with my children, you know, live out a, a life with my husband. Um, so, so that was very dry. So anyway, I finished that induction chemo. Three weeks later, uh, I went into hospital again for three weeks of chemo to keep the leukemia away, a little break, then three weeks of outpatient chemo and where you'd go into the clinic to receive your chemo. Um, and then finally the transplant. So there was a bed because there are only 15 or 16 beds 
in the transplant unit at Princess Margaret. And unfortunately, blood cancer is so, so prevalent at the moment that it, it's a lineup. And I, I just have so much respect for that whole team in trying to organize that space in the hospital don't the whole donor issue and 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 help so many people it's it's just i have so much respect on the subject of donor um i understand that um that was your sister is that right was she uh the the, the right match for you yes um both my brother and my sister were a perfect match which is unheard of i just have a brother and a sister and both of them were a perfect match um but and I was hoping actually that my brother would be the donor because apparently, because uh, women, when they, when they have babies, uh, you know, receive some of the baby's antibodies. I hope that information is correct, something like that. But we have uh, more antibodies um, and uh, my brother would have been a better match. But in, in fact, my sister just health-wise was, was a better match. So she, uh, so we were in a, in a, in a study where you could either have a peripheral, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Giving, giving her, her bone marrow cells, you could, she could have done it peripherally uh, through a sub, subterfuge machine, or they could have done a bone marrow aspiration the day of my transplant to give me her stem cells. And we ended up in this study because we wanted to be part of a study to help, you know, help research. We ended up that she had to do it peripherally. So she did that January 26th. It took about seven hours, just sat in a chair at Princess Margaret where they removed the blood, a machine took the stem cells out and then put the blood back in. I think that process six times. And so then after that, you wait a couple of hours, they send the sample to the lab to see if there are enough stem cells. And if there aren't, she would have to go back in and, and uh, you know, sit there for longer. But in fact, there were enough. So um, that was a very happy day um, because, you know, I was, my sister was doing something that would basically save my life. And, um, so while she was in the chair for that seven hours, I played a piece of music that I really loved, uh, a very beautiful um, version of um, Old Lang Syne, the, the Gaelic version of it, just gorgeous. So we had a few tears while we heard the music playing um, while she was sitting in the chair. And um, then fast forward, maybe two weeks later, um, they, in the meantime, had frozen her stem cells and uh, the day of the transplant, which was February 11th, 2011, um, that was the big day. And um, in the hallway outside my room at Princess Margaret, they had to uh, thaw, thaw the um, stem cells to exact correct temperature. And then it's given to you just like you get a blood transfusion. So when they hooked me up, my whole family was there. My brother was very exciting. and. Um, I played that same music, uh, the old Einstein that um, my sister had heard while she was donating her stem cells. And it was, you know, it was a very emotional moment. <laughs> so anyway, we got through it oh, and nice, um, nice very happy. Have, nice of you to have all the family support at the mm -hmm. same time. Do you believe this whole cancer experience has changed your life in any way? 
Oh my goodness, yes. Um, I think one of the many things that I gained from this whole experience is just not to waste one single minute. So um, my husband and I have been traveling um, a lot and spending so much time with our family, our three children and their children. And um, even though it was COVID, whatever was safe to do, I was out there. I, last year, so many art galleries, con, you know, con, well, on a lot of online concerts, but I'm a very social being. So my social life is so important and I have great friends and they all have such interesting things to do. I, I've uh, been meaning to practice the piano a little bit more. I have a beautiful grand piano. Um, anyway, that's one of my goals to, to going forward because I do have a lot of time. Well, it's uh, interesting. We started this interview with music and we ended on a nice note with music too. So thanks so much, Lois, for joining us today and uh, sharing your cancer experience. It was my true pleasure. Thank you very much. If listeners have any questions about this podcast or need any support or resources to navigate your experience, I encourage you to connect with the community service manager in your region. For more information, visit bloodcancers.ca. If you liked our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts. We also welcome any ideas for our program, so we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your suggestions or comments at info at bloodcancers.ca. Until next time, stay well and stay connected. Thank you for listening to The Blood Cancer Experience, a series of podcasts presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. We are committed to supporting the blood cancer community through programs, services, and research.